2: Hey, Nicole.
0: Hey, Janine.
2: How's your week been?
0: Girl, the first week of January has been, you know what? I'm I'm trying to stay positive in 2022. So I'm going to say this first week has been amazing. But y'all know I can't lie to y'all. I mean, I'm dodging these COVID numbers every day. It's super frustrating. Um, Activities for certain organizations have been sort of, Put back on virtual tasks, so it's it's been a lot. I just felt like, man, we went from December to January, and nothing's changed except the numbers have gone up. But the mindset has changed, right? The mindset has changed. We're getting into the mindset of doing New Year's resolutions and doing our vision boards. So I am going to stick. To positive but y'all I mean the hospitals have been rough right now let's just say that it's been rough other than the hospital if I had to remove myself from work then I could say okay so far this week this first week of January has been a pretty good week um I actually went to a restaurant yesterday which was I know I know I went to a restaurant yesterday because I was helping a friend of mine, my sister and I were both helping a friend of mine set up our classroom. So she is moving back into the classroom. Before that, she had been doing um, uh, basically social work stuff. She's a social worker, um, but now she wants to take a hiatus and teach four years. So we helped her set up our classroom and put decorations up because... Her kids are coming back in person. They did the first week here virtually. They're coming back in person Monday. And she wanted to make sure that her room had just a nice feng shui, right? So we went and helped her set up. Everybody had on N95 mask. And after we finished, everybody was like, okay, we should go get mimosas and brunch. You should have seen us in the restaurant. Like we were putting our mask back up between each, each bite. Like we were not playing. We were not playing. And there weren't that many people in the restaurant, thank God, because, you know, in Texas, everything is, like, business as usual. So I was surprised there weren't, like, a whole bunch of people. But we basically went in, ate as far away from everybody as we could, basically kept our N95 mask on, and, like, took a bite, and dropped our N95 mask, put it right back up. Dropped our N95 mask, put it right back up. So I had never eaten so fast uh, in my life, but the food was really, really good. And it was sort of nice to be... Outside. Now, hopefully I don't catch COVID from that brief interaction, but just saying my week has been pretty good. So what about your week?
2: So my week was filled with a bunch of uh interviews, actually. So I have been, you know, trying to build my team at my new position and I've had like back to back interviews, which I kind of um missed interviews I guess like I I haven't done it in a while so I was like you know back in the stride of things so I really was kind of excited but I've realized that I enjoy working from home but I enjoy a hybrid schedule a lot more so now that I have to work from home every single day again I kind of feel trapped again you know what I mean like I feel like I have to find an excuse to get out of the house but as you know I live on the east coast and this week has been nice and snowy, so. I feel like I've been stuck, and the snow looks pretty, but that's pretty much it. That's the extent of the snow excitement. It just looks nice.
0: Listen, I saw that snowstorm on TV, and I was like, ooh, that looked rough. I mean, snow is pretty. Like, when I lived in Indianapolis, I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. I look out the window. I see all the snow on the trees. It's beautiful. And then when you go to your car, ooh, that hawk hits you.
2: Baby. Baby. It is the worst. The worst. Y'all look like
0: y'all were stuck. Like people were stuck in the East Coast. Stuck, uh, stuck. This week. Stuck,
2: stuck. Like real stuck. So I I think that it just compounded the fact that I was like, oh, we're in this again. I did actually have an opportunity. Ken and I went to um, a funeral of one of our, our church members and... That was the first funeral, I believe, that I've been to since the pandemic. And they were very diligent about, you know, social distancing and making sure that you had a mask and making sure that there were, you know, plenty of hand sanitizing stations. And I told Ken, I said, I feel like that was the first time that I've ever been somewhere and have not even touched my mask to move it down, up, adjust anything. Like, I was so paranoid that I was like, this mask is staying exactly where it is and it's not moving. And it didn't the entire time. And I just feel like we've gone backwards. I really do. Like, I felt like we saw the light at the end of the tunnel. And now we are back to where we were in 2020 when we started all of this. Just, ugh. do you feel like that too, Nicole? Or is it just me?
0: Girl, like, let me tell you, by the end of January, beginning of February, that's when the peak is going to happen in Texas, and Houston. They're estimating 1,800 new infections daily through the hospital. Like, not just like walking around. No, in the hospital. So we're like bracing ourselves. And why the end of February, the end of B, uh, January, beginning of February? You know, the kids go back to school in person next week. Then the college kids go back to school. People are trying to transition back from holidays. So it's just like all of this like badness. People coming back at the same time mix here in the fourth biggest city in the nation. Oh yeah, we're we're bracing ourselves. We're bracing ourselves. So it hasn't quite peaked yet, but but it will. And it can only get better after the peak. Now, we know
2: that this is a third peak though. Okay. I was about to so, say this feels like Groundhog's Day at this point, honestly. Let's 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 be honest.
0: No, I mean honestly, I know people don't want to hear this, but I just feel like they need to shut everything down real quick. Like get these numbers down mm-hmm. and then we can resume activity as usual. I mean, if they would have shut the country down for the amount of time we needed to shut it down, when we first shut down, we would not be in this situation. But because people are so eager, oh, I want everything to open back up. Oh my God, this is my right. You know, we're in this situation and they're not going to shut the country down again. I know that because it's a political thing at this point still. So they're not going to shut it down, but that's the only way to really get a grasp on these numbers because guess what? They're not going to get 70% of the U.S. vaccinated. They ain't going to do it. People are kicking and screaming. And by the time they may finally get enough people, it's going to be a completely different virus. That's why you got vaccinated people getting Omicron right now because it is different than the virus initially was because viruses mutate. People don't understand that viruses mutate. OK, mm-hmm. um, so the thing is going to be mutated to the point where we're going to need a completely new vaccine to combat it. So I don't know. I told myself I was not going to go COVID on this episode. So I'm I'm going to let that rest because every week I know we talk about COVID, but because that's what we're living. But yeah, I'm just being prayerful that the numbers start to go down and people start to do things to protect themselves. But, you know, here in Texas, they don't even want to wear a mask. You got the governor suing the federal government for mask mandates and vaccine mandates. And, you know, last week we asked for help from the National Guard to to offset the healthcare worker shortage. You want to sue me for trying to prevent this,
2: but then you asking for help when you...
0: okay. All right, yeah, that's what we're doing in Texas. I
2: just want everyone to do better in Texas. Florida, too, as a side note. But Texas, I mean, you all really, really? And if, and if you're- a lot going and on. And if your governors are, or let me just say, if your elected officials are not going to take care of you, use your common sense and take care of yourself. But again, we're not going to go full on COVID this episode, but just think, in 20 years, when we're long past this pandemic prayerfully, you know, people can- hear what it was like on our podcast. Just listen to the first like 10 minutes of our podcast each week because we have been through it, haven't we? You
0: know, Texas has so much stuff. It's not even just about COVID. Like you come here, you ain't got no women's health rights. <laughs> you come here, you don't have no voter's rights. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> then you, you you should wear a mask. You might get COVID. I mean, it's just so much stuff here. Anyway, Janine. <laughs> You know, between that, a friend of mine told me, like, can we cut off uh, Texas and uh, cut off Florida and, like, combine them in the ocean and make them their own country? Yes. But there's a lot of other. Listen, those are the two states that are showing themselves right now. But listen, Mississippi ain't too far behind.
2: They can go to. They,
0: oh, they're trying to overturn Roe v. Wade altogether. Let's let's not forget them. And then Alabama's not too far. I guess it's in Georgia. ain't too far either. The
2: same. Yeah. Alabama and Georgia we'll will keep them. We feel like they still have a little bit of time and space left to to turn things around. But Mississippi can go with Florida and Texas as far as I'm concerned. I feel you.
0: All right, Johnny. So, what's on your timeline this week?
2: Okay. So, I'm really excited about this. And I'm excited because I'm kind of a bit of a like, podcast nerd. So, I feel like I get to go back to the beginning, the beginning, right? So, before you and I started this podcast. So I'm not sure if I ever really shared with you how I got into podcasting or podcast just in general before we even started. So as you know, I live in the DMV and much like Houston, we have quite a bit of like just unnecessary traffic. It's just everywhere, no matter where you're going or how far it is, it's just traffic is just there right and working in radio and producing events sometimes you get like music overload where yeah music is nice but like it just kind of becomes repetitive right you don't want to hear the same 15 songs over and over again and even with your aux cord it's kind of like okay you you've selected the songs that you like so it keeps kind of giving you the same recommendations. so I was looking for something that would kind of take up the time of the drive and the traffic and I started listening to audiobooks but then again just like with anything else once you get to the end of the book now you have to take the time to find something else so I was talking to one of my well my best friend actually and you know I had occasionally listened to a podcast here or there but I wasn't consistent with any particular podcast I just kind of listened based on a a search of a topic right so like if I wanted to listen to something about like women I would just kind of search women and see what came up and you know I just wasn't really consistent in it, but I was talking to one of my best friends and she was deployed at the time and we were sharing like book recommendations and talking about new albums that came out and she was like, I've been listening to these really dope podcasts. And I was like, really? Like, what are you listening to? And she gave me like a list of true crime podcasts and I was like, oh my goodness, this is a thing. Like, I'm sure Nicole, you know this about me, but for everybody else. I am what I would consider like, well, Ken, my husband would kind of probably consider me a bit morbid, but if I'm listening to and or watching something, it is probably true crime related, right? So my favorite TV shows are, now I've added a new one, Body Cam on Investigation Discovery and, you know... Of course, I'm a huge Dateline fan. I'm a huge Law & Order fan. And, you know, Chicago PD and the FBI franchise, those are my things. Like, those are my go-to if I need to watch something. Not going to comedy. Going to true crime. So, the idea of having, like, true crime in audio form where I can listen to my favorite things and get through the, like, annoying traffic it was just like a win-win for me so i started listening to like the crime junkies and like wine and crime and of course my favorite podcast aside from ours um my favorite murder and while those podcasts were great and entertaining one of the things that i realized is that while our stories were kind of sprinkled in A lot of stories of like black and brown people and minorities just in general, it was very sporadic. It wasn't there was nothing consistent that was giving the stories that I knew or had heard of or the stories that we hadn't heard of. Like I knew that and obviously we know that there's a lot of crime that takes place in our communities, but we don't really hear about them because, of course, and this is, you know, as we've talked about before, the stories that make the headlines are the beautiful blonde hair, blue eyed. White woman. So at the same time that I kind of became obsessed with true crime podcasts, my husband, who was a radio exec at the time, began producing the Hughley Truth podcast. So I feel like I want to call it serendipity because what is the likelihood that I started getting into podcasts? My husband started producing podcasts and it was like a thing. So fast forward to 2020, the pandemic hit and I feel like that's when I became the like official podcast nerd. So I started going through just podcast after podcast. Like, oh, what am I interested in? Like, let's see what I can find or discover. And there obviously we know there's no shortage of podcasts. So I kind of really got into it. Then my husband started forming the network and the network, his his vision for the network for Mino Lion Media was to share stories of black and brown people. And I was like, oh, this is a thing. And of course, Nicole, I had a conversation with you and recruited you. And we started chit-chatting, which everyone knows at this point, we formed this podcast because we realized that we were having conversations that we would have with each other and our other friends. And we realized that it's not really, there are certain things that we don't talk about as black women. And that's how we started our podcast. And then it kind of just took off from there. So last year when we were, a year into the pandemic, I was like, I need to find something new. I specifically wanted to find something that was true crime. And it was about our black and brown stories. And I came across this podcast and it was called The Overlooks Podcast. And the podcast was specifically about cases of missing and or murdered people of color, black and brown people that have kind of gone cold. So I will admit I binged it. Like as as soon as I I heard Caressa's voice, who is the host, I literally was like, oh, my goodness, this is the best thing ever. And I actually started binging it at night thinking, oh, her voice is so soothing. It'll help me go to sleep. But of course, as opposed to me going to sleep, I would stay up all night and just say, okay, just one more episode. I'm just going to listen to one more episode. And I would just be up listening to this podcast. So I called Ken and I said, Ken, can you please get Caress on our podcast? Like we have to have this lady on our podcast. Can you find out where she is? Find out how we can get in contact with her. I want to talk to her about, about these stories. And not only kudos to Ken, not only did he make it happen so that we could get Caress on the podcast, but now the Overlook podcast is now part of our Mino Lion Media Network family and so we're super excited because, and and for me specifically, I'm super excited because I'm super excited to hear the new episodes. So we get to we get to talk to Caress today, and we get to announce that the the podcast is going to be released. Our episode comes out on Thursday, so her episodes will be released on Sunday. So when you hear this, it'll just be a couple of days before you can hear the first episode of the second season, and we're super super excited. So. As you know, we've talked about this before. Like we've talked about the stories of of the missing and our stories that don't necessarily get the media coverage that they deserve. And we understand that a lot there are a lot of stories that don't get media coverage they deserve. Not just black and brown stories, but there are a lot of stories. You know, there's only a certain number of hours in the day and there's a certain number of stories that the media is going to cover. So we understand that. But we do also understand that it's a disproportionate number when it comes to our stories of missing and murdered. So we're super excited to have Caress on the podcast. And Nicole, I'm going to let you introduce her to everyone.
0: We have the goddess in the house with us today. And her name is Miss Caress Clark. So, Miss Clark is an alternative sentencing and mitigation specialist, as well as a therapist specializing in inner child wounds. She has eight years of experience working with co-occurring clients struggling with substance abuse and mental health. She is the voice of the Overlook podcast, a podcast that focuses on cases of missing and murdered people of color, particularly those that have little media coverage. Caress, welcome to the podcast and welcome to the network. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I know that, so Janine told you a little bit about how she found you, but I don't know how much you know about Janine, but she is semi stalkerish and she will get what she wants eventually. So uh, I think it's it's great. I guess uh, you know, she tells Kian, like, babe, this is what I want. I want her on the podcast. And he goes, I'll do you one better, babe. I'm gonna convince her to come on the network. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, Caress, how and why? Did you start researching and reporting missing and Murdered Women of Color? And, and why did you even start the the podcast in general?
3: Yeah. So actually, my story isn't that different from Janine's. I, during the pandemic, I had heard of podcasts. I listened to some here or there. And then the pandemic hit. I uh, was traveling a lot at the time and I had a music overload. And I'm like, I just, I don't want to listen to music <laughs> for another two hours on the road. And so I started listening to podcasts and I was like you know what I like true crime there has to be true crime and of course there was a dozen uh, or hundreds um and I started listening to a lot of the big names as uh, some she's already mentioned and I was enjoying it but was a little disappointing because I wasn't hearing any stories about brown people at all. Um, Every now and then you would hear, you know, the same one or two cases of a black child that went missing or a black woman that went missing. And every single podcast covered that one case. But you really didn't get a lot of variety. Um, So I would listen to these. And then after a while, I started hearing the same cases over and over <laughs> and over. And sometimes I wouldn't remember the name. I'm horrible with details like that. So I'll start the episode and I'm like, oh, okay. This sounds familiar. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. With, with a hatchet, right? And I would just realize like, oh, I already know this whole story. Um And then it just kept happening where I'm like, okay, I have subscribed to seven different true crime podcasts. And every single one of you guys have covered this case. But we know that every day there is a new child, a new woman, a new man going missing. And no one is covering this. So after some time, I would go and look on the Black and Missing's Instagram page. It's a a foundation. They actually just had a series with HBO. They did a documentary with them. Uh, But they have an Instagram page and they will post flyers of missing Black and brown individuals. And so after a while, I'll see it on my time feed, and I would just get curious, especially because they will repost as long as the person is missing. There was one particular case that I kept seeing reposted, and I was like, okay, I got to figure out what's going on. So I go online i google it i see what i can find and then i realized people on reddit are talking about it then i figured out people on web are talking about it and what i was finding on reddit web and then of course you have some amazing minds and both of those type of forums and you'll have people that will pull up the person the missing person's facebook Like uh-huh this is her boyfriend i noticed that he took away their picture together she's only been missing for three days um and it kind of just took me down this rabbit hole and i kind of realized that hey when you read the news articles they keep giving especially when it comes to black people one paragraph about oh this is what happened please reach out to us but then i would go to reddit and they had four or five pages of information I would go to Web Sleuths and they had videos. They will pull up maps and say, "Okay, this is where they said she was found. This is where her car was. That is a one mile walking radius. You know, uh, she walked with a limp. I don't think she could have got there by herself. So really just following the path via social media, web forums, I realized like we have so many cases that we aren't doing justice and while this was happening i ended up having a case in work where i was working with an individual who was chronically homeless Uh, she had been homeless for about 20 something years and we had no information on her Um, though she had came in contact um, with our system several times she we had no information i um, was talking to her and she just randomly gave me the name of one of her children and i said okay Is it okay for you to, if I contact her? She said, yeah, I contact her daughter. uh, Well, my investigator contacted the daughter via Facebook. Her family thought she was dead. Her daughter had not seen her in over 20 years. Um, So I had actually got a chance to see face-to-face what it was like to see a family member who thought like, hey, we didn't know where this person was. And it was come to find out her mom had been homeless. She'd been living in different homeless camps. The mom struggled with some mental health um, disorder. And so mom got off medication. Mom wasn't going by her name. In fact, when we looked her up in the system, she had several alias, stuff like that. And so I actually got to see them in court reunite. And it was also one of those moments for me where it's like, there, there's a thing where people assume if a person's missing, haven't really seen them, not any tips after a year, people assume that they're dead. That's a big assumption. They're like, OK, well, they got met with foul play. You add mental health in there, especially people just kind of give up. Um, so being able to see them reunite, it kind of also changed my mindset about how I went about looking at cases. And that was really what sparked it in me where I was like, you know what? I'm already looking up all this information for fun. I'm already already researching. I'm on the forums. I'm following what people are posting. Now I'm snooping on people's Facebooks. I'm now looking at Instagram comments and so forth. And I said, you know, this seems to be a place where there's lacking. We don't have a lot. If you type in true crime, black, um, black people, true crime, things like that, all sorts of things will pop up that aren't really related to Black people missing, Black true crime stories or anything like that, especially not focusing on the victims, which I think is the biggest part. That's something I also had an issue with a lot of true crime um, books, movies, anything related focus a lot on the perpetrator. And all we get to hear really was, oh, you know, she was such a nice girl. And then it's like forty minutes talking about this person that did this horrible thing. So I just was like, you know what? This is something that's lacking. And it was just me, my little laptop, and (laughs) my little twenty-five dollar like mic at the time. And I was like, okay, well, this is something I want to do. And it just started
2: from there. Oh my goodness, I'm so obsessed with that story. Thank you for sharing that. So question, of course, because I course, I'm the person that wants to know all of the nitty gritty details. (laughs) What is the strangest or most disturbing case that you've covered on the podcast?
3: So I was thinking really hard about this. (laughs) I was thinking really, really hard about this last night. And I I was like, you know what, whichever one comes out my mouth, because there was two in my mind. Um, But I want to go with the Tavis Sutton case. Tavis Sutton is a... young child. He was only like about a month old when he was kidnapped from Grady Hospital. And what makes that particular case so interesting to me is that while I was looking up, I was just looking up, you know, how did this baby get, you know, taken from a hospital? There's supposed to be nurses doing rounds and things like that. Well, in the middle of this case, I find out that he was the seventh baby kidnapped from this hospital. Between the late 1970s and mid 90s. And it just absolutely blew my mind because you want to think after the second baby that the hospital would just, you know, step their game up. But we somehow get to baby number seven. And all of these babies that were kidnapped were all black babies. They all had young mothers. And all of the babies were returned except for two. Tavis and then there's another uh baby that was kidnapped Raymond Green and he actually wasn't kidnapped at the hospital his mother uh there was a woman that befriended the mother the woman called herself Lisa and the mother was a young teen she was like 16 years old so when she was discharged she needed a way home this woman said oh I'll take you home and she did she took her and the baby home dropped them off and then a couple days later she came back to visit wanted to check up on them um, at some point in time, the mom got up, I think went to the bathroom or something, stepped out the room for a second. She came back. The baby was gone. The woman, Lisa, was gone. So Tavis and Raymond are the only babies that have not been returned. And while I was researching this, I did not realize how big of a thing uh, babies can kidnap from hospitals are. Because you only hear these stories like on Lifetime. And when we hear them, we're like, oh, this thing happened. Oh, wow, I never heard something like this. You know, every, it seems like once every 20 years, we'll hear something like that. Um, Well, while I was researching this case, I found out actually since the 80s, over 280 babies have been kidnapped from hospitals in the US. And I did not know that when I had my child. They have little tags on their bracelets and you can't, you can't move them beyond a certain point, but that stat came from 2012 up to 280 babies have been kidnapped. Now, luckily when it comes to these type of cases, 90% of the time, the babies are recovered within a week. So that's always the good news, uh, but you still have those outliers of kids that are never found. And you're wondering where are they? What happened to them now on the good side, a lot of times in these type of cases, People are a lot more hopeful that these are just children that are being raised under a different identity versus a more gruesome ending. And that case, uh, people are, we're kind of like crossing our fingers, hoping that he, just by chance, get curious about his ancestry and swab up, submit his DNA, you know, somewhere, thinking that he's just about to find out, you know, oh, great grandma was the, you know, first black woman to graduate from blah, blah, blah. Instead, he's going to find, hmm. Who's this person I got 80% DNA match with? And hopefully it gleams from there, uh, which sounds random, but that is something that we're seeing happen in the true crime world a lot. People swabbing, just trying to find out about their ancestors. And then, you know, uncle getting arrested because they realized that DNA was close to a sample match from a crime scene in the 1980s.
0: I think it's interesting with the whole, you know, co pink. So, you know, Chris, you know, I, I'm an OBGYN by trade. Well. <laughs> maternal fetal medicine, so I practice high-risk OB. It's a real thing. Like, babies are stolen from hospitals all the time. And now they're not stolen as much, but there's so many things that are put in place. Like, even if the mom accidentally slips that wristband off of the baby's foot, um, because now we put them on the baby's, uh, one on the foot and one on the um, wrist, it's a big deal. Like, it's like code pink, like all the doors are shut. There's like a nurse at every door like security locks it down you can't get in or out of there and it's all and you go in the room and you're like oh, okay well the the band just fell off of one of the sides of the of the baby and people are like I hate the fact that this thing beeps all the time I'm like let me tell you you want that thing to beep. you want to make sure that your baby is secure so yeah it's it's a it's a whole thing people think that babies don't don't go walking away even now but 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 they do and that's why codes are put in place um, to prevent that stuff from happening. So I think that 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 is a a super interesting um, case and, and hopefully he will be found. So in addition to that, like super interesting case. So what can listeners look forward to Um, With your podcast and with the upcoming episode this Sunday
3: So the upcoming episode this Sunday is one It's a more recent case Because I'll cover cases as far back as the 80s But this one is a case um, The disappearance of Marsha Lyle and Marsha went missing from um, Seal, Alabama, last May. We don't have an exact time frame of when she went missing, but sometime around last May. And this particular case is very interesting because we a lot of times we don't have a lot of clues on what a person is doing those last couple moments that we know that they're active, that we have um like things like, okay, you know, a neighbor saw them or something like that. But Marsha actually has her debit card um, hooked up with her mom's bank account. So for a couple of days, you can kind of see her driving and picking up gas at this place, stopping at a hotel here, paying for the hotel for a week. And it's trying to put together the pieces of, okay, what exactly was she doing now? On this particular case, we also talk about the topic of mental health as well. Um, family came out and let the public know that Marsha does have schizophrenia. She also has an inoperable uh, brain tumor. And so there was some concerns. Actually, what started the whole uh, search and people, family members being concerned was that uh, she had recently moved to Alabama by herself and her mother and her sister would check on her. They have weekly calls with her just to make sure everything's okay meds going good uh, but they couldn't get in contact with her and so they had the police come out and check on her police saw her she's fine they had a property manager come out and check on her and she was fine but then we have this series of her just driving all across Florida for a couple of days. And we're really trying to figure out, OK, what was going on? Why was she in Florida? Not only that, we believe she had her phone with her, but family can reach her this whole time. But we know for a fact we, she was active. Now, later on in the case, we end up uh, finding out that police actually did get surveillance video of her and they were able to pick up. And show that to the family. However, one of the things that we see in the surveillance video is that she looks aged. She is a 40 year old woman. She in the surveillance video looks to be in her 70s. So we're trying to figure out what happened that it looks like she aged so quickly. And they were able to determine it was her in that video. So it has a lot of intrigue in that type of way where it's like, okay, one, she was in Florida, multiple places in Florida. What's going on with that? Two, we find out things like, okay, she paid for a hotel for a week and then got up and left the very next day. We have her. Finally, we're seeing her on camera, but she does not look like herself whatsoever. So it's a really, really fascinating case. Um, And honestly, this case, when I was reading it, it was reminding me of the case where I actually worked with the client who uh, we got to reunite with her daughter. And so with this case, I have a lot of hope that there's a chance that she is out there and that we will be able to find her. And it's just a matter of she may be living under a different name and she may be living in a homeless camp. She may be living um, at a group home. I uh, did a ca- episode last year where I briefly went over um, cases of individuals who have been missing for years. And were still found, and one of those individuals was um, a woman by the name of Monica Brown, and she was found after seven years. And the way that she was found was that she had been living in a group home. She had been living in a group home for a couple years at that point, and the um, state had guardianship over her. And luckily, she just had a caseworker that was like, you know what? I really want to make sure that. We aren't taking over when there's a family member that could help. And she just happened to go through some missing person flyers and found her. And that's how they ended up finding her. And she, of course, went by different names. She couldn't remember her name. So she just told them another name, things like that. And so I really kind of wonder if that's the case with Marsha Lau, a lot of the stuff that happens in this case is very similar. Um, and just a lot of the behaviors that she was displaying at the time really just reminds me of that other case where the woman was found seven years later.
2: Wow. I'm I'm sitting here fascinated and I'm like, I really want to ask you, well, what what other episodes do you have? But everyone's going to have to just listen. It. It's the same place where you can find us. You can find the Overlooked podcast and also you can download the Mean Lion media app if you'd like. And once you download it, then the Overlooked podcast will be there right next to us.
0: Okay, so it sounds like I got a lot of binge listening to do too, uh, Janine. Because <laughs> I like true crime stuff too.
1: Stay tuned after the podcast to hear what's coming up on season two, episode one of the Overlooked podcast.
0: All right, so our first letter reads, um, Nicole and Janine, I'm from Cleveland, and wanted you ladies to know about the Raja McQueen case. I know you ladies have talked about missing white woman syndrome well this is certainly an example because roger's case has gotten very minimal coverage roger mcqueen is a 27 year old single mom of two kids and a music student at rosedale bible college she was last seen on june 26 2021 at 7 30 a.m at a gas station on east 131st street and harvard avenue in cleveland Um, she was the passenger at that time in the car the same day at 11 15 her car was seen with someone else driving it on Broadway and Union Avenue, also in Cleveland. There was one bullet hole reported in the rear passenger side door of her 2018 Nissan Sentra. The first month, the local news ran a few stories, but after July, I barely heard anything about this case. Her family doesn't post much on social media, which I think is strange. Um, I don't want her to be just another missing black woman. She seemed to be up and coming with a lot of spirituality. How can we keep this case alive? And how can we help our ladies stay safer to prevent things like this from happening?
3: Social media is so important in trying to keep the case alive and getting tips. It is huge. You have to, I, I would always recommend people start a Facebook group, keep it open, make it an open group so anybody can look at it. They don't have to join or add you as a friend, anything like that. Create Instagram pages as well. Instagram is a great way to share people's flyers because you people could just go to your page and in one click, put share to their story. And you can get a lot of, lot of traffic that way. I would also recommend reaching out to smaller, podcasts, smaller news stations, bloggers, and so forth. Um, A lot of times, these individuals are very receptive to covering your story. I've had people reach out to me and say, hey, my stepmom is missing. Could you please cover this case? And I have. Um, Not only that, same thing with a lot of these bloggers. Um, There is a blog Leave believe it's called Black Girl Missing, but they also will let people write them on like Instagram and then they'll start covering a story based on the information you gave them and what other stuff they can get. We also have the Charlie's Project, um, which is a huge uh, website that hosts um, stories of missing individuals. And that's where a lot of people who cover these type of things actually get their information. It's a well-known website. Um, And then go on to Web Sleuths, go on to Reddit, create a thread and get the news out there because people on these Reddit threads, on these WebSoup threads, they also go on to make YouTube um, videos about these things. They share these things. Um, Not only that, it will pop up on people who just happen to follow true crime or missing persons cases. They'll just log on and that story will pop up on them automatically. And you'll be surprised actually how many people that are like reporters and so forth, they are also following these type of things. I've had people who are an individual, I believe she works for... ID investigate, who reached out to me before um, she follows my Instagram page and was like, hey, do you have any stories right now where, you know, the family is active and so forth. So really using that social media piece is very important because they're all type of little connections just when you reaching out to that one person, just from you putting that information just on that one Reddit forum or that one web forum, keeping the social media up to date is really. The biggest thing, a lot of the younger generation, especially that's where they get their news. They're not watching, you know, news channel five and so forth. They're going on Instagram and they're reposting what they see on their timeline. They're going on Facebook and they're reposting what they see on their timeline. Now, in regards to keeping yourself safe, I always recommend for women, especially if you're an iPhone user, share your location indefinitely with at least one person. Um, my best friend has mine indefinitely. Matter of fact, I um she recently reached out to me and said, you know, what are you doing? And I just said nothing, not thinking much of it. She's like, you're lying. You at you're supposed to be at the gym. And I was like, okay, like we need to stop sharing our information if you're spying on me. Uh, but she's my accountability partner. But I always recommend that. Share your location with at least one person. Let your friends know where at least one person know where you are going. If you are going on dates with people, especially people you don't know really well, there is a concern or they're just a stranger right now, Take a picture of that man's or woman's tags. I always do that. You can do it on the low. They don't even know this was happening. If you're meeting them on a website like Bumble or something, screenshot that picture. Make sure somebody knows that this is what he looks like. This is what she looks like. This is the this is name I was given. This is where we are going. And make sure that someone knows what your plans are. Not just, hey, yeah, I'm going on a date. There should be someone knowing that, hey, you know, we're going to Ruth Chris. We might get a drink, but I plan to be home. I plan to be home by 12 o'clock. And um, me and my girlfriends, we definitely do that. We keep a log of, okay, where are you supposed to be? We do a check-in, like, you good? We'll just send the side eye emoji and we'll send back a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It's really important to have someone know where you're supposed to be. I would say in a lot of the cases I cover, um, one of the biggest issues that I've seen in that the police report is no one knows who they really hang with. No one knows what their plans were for, the, you know, what they had planned for that day, what they were supposed to be doing. And then people are just very, very private. And while I understand that, you know, there was a particular case, I did not get to cover it yet. I'm still trying to get information on this particular case. But for years, people were like, no, they don't date, they don't really have a big social life, um, all this stuff. And come to find out they did have a life, like they did have a group of friends that went to a whole different school that knew them completely different from themselves, you know. know, they had a reputation of being like a star student, real quiet, reserved. But they had this other life where they were partying, and uh, they portrayed themselves as kind of like, "I grew up in the ghetto, and I'm rough and tough" type of thing. Uh, And they also had a partner, and no one in her personal circle or life knew that. And so for years, there were leads that the police could have been chasing that the police didn't even know about because no one in their close circle knew about.
2: I literally was just thinking about that and how I tend to be a more private person and just not give all of the details or I'll give details like a little bit of the information to everyone just to be safe. But my best friend and I do actually share our location and definitely like you said, and it actually started very innocently because she has this obsession with finding plants on facebook marketplace so when she would go pick them up i would be like how do you know you're not like going to the craigslist killer's house like why are you doing this and she thought about it obviously and she said okay got it so she would tell me where she was going and then you know obviously that's how we started sharing our location just in case something happened i can say this is the last place that she was and she was supposed to be going to pick up a plant from you know Mm -hmm. So I I do think that that's really important. But specifically in this case that Nicole just talked about, I think I'm a little bit disturbed because she said that the young lady was in her car in the passenger seat. Mm-hmm. And then she was, the car was driving. They saw the car again, but she, the driver was still there, but she wasn't there. And there was a bullet hole. Well, where's the driver? Who was driving? Mm-hmm. Like who had her car?
1: Because mm-hmm.
2: if you can see it on surveillance, then you should be able to see... Who's driving? Right. And then, of course, I think it's really suspicious. You know, she just went missing. It's not like this is a, you know, 10, 20 year old case. Why is the family not still talking about it? I mean, it's not even a year old. So it's a little suspicious. Right. Like, is it me or does it sound like there's something that we're missing? There has to be something missing. And, and like
0: for me, if that were my family member that went missing, like I would be like, this is who was in the car. She was in the car with this is why she was at a gas station at 730 in the morning. Like, was he picking her up from work? Was she leaving work? Like nothing is said. And I felt like her family and I'm not trying to criticize the family, but even the posts that they have, they're like, if you know, any information contact these people and they don't say the names of those people. They just put like their Instagram tags, right? And so when you go to the Instagram tags, they have pictures that are shared of her, but it's not like they're saying her name. I had to go through several pictures to see, is this her? Cause they're like, oh, I'm missing my sister. We'll tag her so that people know that she's missing. There was um, one, one of the most recent posts about her was in um, December, the last time anybody posted about her and it was not a family member it was someone else that had been following the case that said where is she is she still missing and they tagged her on Facebook and there's all these comments that said oh she's still missing we didn't know that she was still missing because we haven't heard as much about her we had no idea and I feel like either the people that organized this initial campaign just did not do Justice in like making sure they continue to tag her and say her name. It just looked like somebody that, you know, may have passed away because they're like, oh, missing my sister. And they had her there or, you know, you had to dig through and find, Okay, this, you know, there's a missing post, 10 posts before that. But they're only posting like once every couple of weeks Um, after July. It just literally the social media dropped off. But nobody's out there saying hey, this is what happened and this is who he, she was in the car with. Even the news reports, if you can identify that there's a bullet hole in the passenger side on the camera, you mean to tell me you're not going to try to figure out who's actually driving the car? Is it the same person driving the car that was driving the car this morning when she was in there or the completely different person? Like that information was not out there, um, and so I just felt like it was very superficial and very local. And I think I found like four news articles on it, and that was pretty much it. So knowing i what I need. I was like, okay, why is there not more information, even just from the family coming out and and putting it out there? Now I don't I don't know, Carissa, if you've seen that, you know, a lot like family members just don't know what to do, or maybe they're not on social media, so they don't really, you know, they don't tend to do anything.
3: Yeah, there's definitely some there are some families who have a lot of trust in the police and the police are like, don't worry, you know, we're going to handle it. You know, don't try to do certain. There has been cases I've come across where family has said, you know, the family, the police told us, you know, we could possibly mess up the case because they have a possible suspect and they don't want to say too much. Well, things like that. But for me, if I see you not moving in a case, I'm still at least post flyers. I'm still at least do that. And then you also have family members who Don't really understand how important social media influence is. Um, And you also have family members that get discouraged by others. I actually did cover a case where the mom stopped doing outreach events and so forth because she said, you know, people stopped showing up. People legit told me they were tired of hearing it. People, I could see people backing away as I'm talking about my daughter. People were over it. And so she would still do like uh, articles with local newspapers when the anniversary and so forth came around. Uh, But yeah, there definitely are some families who really don't know what to do. And so they kind of just rely on the police to do their job, uh, which is, you know, slippery slope. And they also rely on like, well, there's a news article up. So you know, I'll put missing her name and, you know, then people will search and they'll do the work. And unfortunately, that's just not how it works. You have to be proactive.
2: One of the things that you mentioned, Caress, that I, I can completely understand is people stop showing up because unfortunately this happens so often that we kind of get fatigue with it, right? Like mm-hmm. you're showing up for this case, but then another person goes missing that you are passionate about that case. And then it's like, you know, Short of this becoming your passion project, you do get a little bit of fatigue because it just, especially during the pandemic, I could imagine it's just one negative thing after the other. So you kind of just are kind of just trying to protect your energy, even though, you know, you want to do something to help these cases. You want to help find these these missing people. But at the same time, it's a lot like it's a lot to to think about and it's a lot to grapple with in your mind. Like. One person goes missing, then another person goes missing, then another person goes missing. And that's just a corner of the negative things that we are experiencing right now. So it's just a lot. And as you said, you can't really rely on the police to do their job because they're overwhelmed, too.
3: They really are. I will say Radcliffe, Kentucky, their police force, I have went over three cases of people that went missing in that area. And their their police force is awesome. Their police force is on every case I've covered where they are involved. I don't know what's going on that people keep disappearing there. But every case I've covered that they're on, they've been really, really on it. I love seeing that. I feel like so many times I have to be like, and then the police said she probably ran away. And then they family never heard from the police again. But yeah, I definitely think people get overwhelmed because you do get a new case. It seems like every other day. And then again, like I said earlier, there's also that idea of, well, ain't nobody seen or heard from her after or him after this much time. And people just assume they are deceased. And people just assume like, OK, well, you, you kind of just got to get over that. Unfortunately, when it comes to missing people, there is just this idea of like, well, I mean, if it's been a year, eh, we kind of know what happened. And people just stop caring.
2: That's sad. The letter that I received is about a case that's been going on for some time now. So my letter says, hi, ladies, thank you for the missing white women's syndrome episode. It really hit home for me. I listened to it just days after the fifth anniversary of one of my friends, Kishé Jacobs' disappearance. Kishé went missing on September 26, 2016, after some of our friends dropped her off at a young man's house. His name was Otis Tucker. She hasn't been seen since. Kishé was very close to her mom, Toni. So when her mother hadn't heard from her, I knew something was wrong. It really seems that her case has gone cold. While her mom, Tony has been very active in keeping her story in the news, it doesn't seem a priority to the police. While they do suspect foul play, there have been no leads. One additional fact is Otis Tucker is currently in police custody for another charge. The turmoil that the family has been through and continues to go through is unimaginable. I don't think that there's a day that goes by that I don't think about her. I just continue to pray that one day we will find answers. I don't really have a question. I will just be grateful if you read this on the podcast and maybe someone listening knows something about Quiche's disappearance and will come forward. If anyone knows anything, please call the Richmond Police Department at 804-780-1000. Thank you so much for sharing. Love, Nia.
3: This is something, unfortunately, a lot of families have to deal with. The case kind of just going cold. Police no longer really have an involvement. Um, One of the things I've seen families do that can kind of help kickstart some things is I've seen some families that then start pretty much disrupting the police's uh, piece. They start showing up to city council meetings. Uh, There is a particular case I've That will be on this upcoming season where the family was not getting anything from the police. So every city council meeting, they showed up. They showed up with signs. They made sure they put themselves on the agenda. And every single time they let it be known, hey, our name is blah, 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 blah. Our brother has been missing for this long. We have not heard anything from the police. This is what we know. The police closed the case after this much time, even though the police did not do. And they kept doing that every single time they kept doing that and it forced the police hand because the police were getting embarrassed by the news because then the news stations were there and the news stations were like "Hmm, well apparently there's this person that's been missing and it created some steam and kick up in this case because now the news was reporting on it now the police were pressured to start moving now did the police still keep in contact like they should have (laughs) no but they did start doing things now some of the things they did was for show, was theatrics, but because they were doing things like searches again, the news was covering it again. People were hearing about the case again. Uh, People were following back up with it. Doing things like that can um, be really helpful in those type of cases where people are uh, when it seems like there's no news coming in again, there's no tips coming in again, really kind of learning how to force the police's hand. Um, also, when you do things like that, it also forces the media's hand because you I, they can't keep ignoring you. It's unfortunately just a game of persistence.
0: So I just that case does not sit well with me at all um, because I'm sitting here thinking, who is Otis? Where is he now? And why did the friends drop? Her off at Otis's house, and like you said, I mean I would definitely make noise I just i I can't even imagine if my child went missing whether he was an adult child or whether he was a toddler like he is now I would be trying to turn over mountains I would not care if people showed up or or didn't if we're having a protest at the school it's gonna be me and my sister and my mama outside the school making noise. And if people don't show up, I'm not going to cancel my events because people are not showing up. They're going to be like, that little person will not shut up. And I'm going to be like, this little person will never shut up until my son is found. So I think that that is, you know, very unfortunate that you have friends that probably feel really guilty Mm -hmm. right now for dropping their friend off at this person's house. Um, But I would encourage them to not stop until you have some answers. But that case, in terms of like dropping her off at somebody else's house and that person not being put on blast and not being followed constantly until they're completely ruled out does not sit well with me at all.
2: Yeah, Nicole, to also answer your question about um the young man, he's currently in prison. But two, her mother actually posted on Facebook saying that he was the last person to see her and he's not been cooperative. So
0: It it don't it don't smell right. It
2: really doesn't.
0: Okay. As much as we don't want to stop talking about these cases, we're going to move on to learn something new. I feel myself getting angry. In my spirit, I feel myself getting angry, y'all.
2: Right. I
0: listen, I, I know people people that listen to the show, y'all know I when I get passionate about something, it's like going from zero to 100 mm-hmm. and so that's how i feel about some of these cases and i know that some people may stray away from from hearing or even researching or sharing some of these cases because they may feel like over like i get like you may be over consumed or overly emotional but we do have to take a step in and sometimes we may have to take a step back and allow ourselves to emotionally grieve um but but take a step back in every once in a while and share it and be, you know, persistent in sharing. If you say, you know, I only want to, you know, check up on these cases once every couple weeks, that's better than nothing. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you know what you need to have um, to emotionally cope from day to day, and that's just too overwhelming to hear bad news, I get it, but you know, take a step back in and, and share things. Um, I know for me, I can get very passionate really quickly about things like this. So I have to, you know, regroup sometimes too. Um, So I think that that's only human. All right. So now we're going to talk about what we've learned new this week. So Johnny, Mm -hmm. what'd you learn new this week?
2: So the thing that I learned is that data from the FBI reports that in 2020, so back when we all started this, this thing, Black people accounted for about 34% of missing persons cases, while they only make up slightly more than 13% of the country's population. So let that sink in for a while. Black people make up a little more than 13% of the country's population, but we make up 34% of missing persons cases.
0: But you know what, Janine? I feel like, I hate to say this, but... We go missing and it almost is like we're probably gonna go missing more because they know that people aren't gonna really search for us.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And um, you know, that's that's a hard thing to swallow, but that's why we have to be even that more diligent in staying safe and making sure that we're not living a completely private life um, so that people can know what we're doing and where we are.
2: What did you learn this week, Nicole?
0: So what I learned was, uh, you know, it was disturbing. So, you know, there are 600,000 individuals that go missing in the, in the U.S. each year. And according to the National Missing and Identified Person System, 4,400 unidentified bodies are recovered each year, which is super sad, you know, because it takes a while to identify bodies, so there could be someone's loved one that's just there, and there's no identity on them, and that the the case could be solved, but you don't know it yet. Um, so I think that that's um, that's really sad, and it's not something we want to know about, but it's true. You know, it's a statistic that's that's true. So, Caress, do you have anything new you'd like to share with us?
3: Yeah, mine was personal. One of the things that I learned new this week was how to teach my toddler to meditate my toddler they told us the day before school was supposed to start back that they're going virtual and my toddler she is naturally on 10 like she wakes up at 7 a.m every morning full of sunshine energy and questions um so i did not (laughs) i was not getting any work done and i was just like okay we, we gonna try this we are gonna i know how to do it with older kids but not toddlers so i was like okay we gonna google some stuff and we gonna get you down to an eight and I managed to get her down to a an And, you know, I could only read emails, but could not respond to anybody while she was awake. But uh, that was the thing I learned this week. So I was extremely excited for that because the first half of the week was definitely me. Just don't climb on that. Don't jump on that. Please don't throw that. I don't know. I, I, w- where's your iPad? So I was very, very excited to find this meditation for toddlers on YouTube. And that was my thing I learned for the week.
0: Well, I'm, listen, I'm so glad you shared that. I have my son Harrison is two and a half. I don't know how old your daughter is, five. but she's five. See, see she's, a diff- she's a different age toddler. I'm telling you, <laughs> I don't know if I'd be able to teach Harrison how to meditate <laughs> at two and a half because... Let me tell you, he's on 10 too. He went to bed early last night and woke up this morning at like 5 a.m. and was like, eat, eat, I'm ready to eat. And I have been up, my mom has been up and showered. We have been, you know, up. Why? Because Harrison's up. When Harrison wakes up, everybody's up. But I'm gonna have to do something too because he's climbing and jumping and and doing all kinds of stuff too. So it's a lot. (laughs) It is a lot.
2: I feel I feel sorry for both of you, but (laughs) but living my child free life over here, I uh, I appreciate the fact that you are thinking to let your children meditate because I can't imagine what it's like to try to have to work like it's, it's already a lot to have to work from home, but to have to work and then have to, you know, be a full time parent. I mean, literally, that's doing two full time jobs at the same time. And And teaching, right? Like, that's just a lot. That's so much. So three full-time jobs. My hat's off to both of you.
0: All right. Are you guys ready for the motivational moment?
2: Let's do it.
0: Uh Ladies, never let someone overlook you or any other Black woman you know in any setting. Never silence or mute yourself. Be the queen that you are. But sometimes we have to raise hell to get the attention we deserve. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated
1: excellence. Bye. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson-Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh That's Deep BWC. Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a Mean Old Lion Media production.
3: Hey guys, this is Russ and this is The Overlook. Welcome back to Season 2. I'm going to talk to you guys about the disappearance of Marsha Lyle. Marsha Lyle is a 41-year-old African-American woman who was living in Seal, Alabama at the time of her disappearance. She is described as the type of person that brings joy to everyone she meets, while always having a smile on her face. Marcia is a graduate of the University of Florida and a youth leader for her Seventh-day Adventist Pathfinders program. As for her religion, she doesn't drink alcohol or participate in drug usage. She was not involved in any romantic relationships. At the time of her disappearance, she was employed in the retail industry and it was noted that she was a good employee.